day on Ag News Daily. You know, the wall's coming, the wall's coming. I, I think it's kind of been a fear that uh, that's coming and that's kept people, you know, with these lighter weights. And Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, here at the Farm Progress Show for day two. It's an interesting, we're, we're, we got an interesting setup today, don't we, Mike? You know, it's not interesting. It's it's engaging. It's lively. We can hear folks in the background. We're reporting from the field. This is not something we get to do very often on the podcast. I think it's kind of fun. I feel like a feel like a big time uh, media personnel here. But we're sharing one microphone, so that it might look kind of goofy. We're interviewing each other. It is a uh, it's a classic old school way of doing radio. We were in a media scrum earlier with Secretary Purdue. We playing clips from his conversation here at the Farm Progress Show. Uh, well, throughout the week, none of it was incredibly pressing for today. So we'll be doling it out as little little chips, little little uh, what's uh, Hansel and Gretel? What did they leave behind? Uh, Crumbs. Crackers, crumbs, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, we're at the Farm Progress Show having fantastic conversations with folks, meeting people from all across the United States. We're talking with great vendors, a lot of really cool products in agriculture out there, Delaney. There absolutely is, Mike. We're going to talk to people all throughout this week as well as continuing those discussions into next week. But let's get into some news for today because the world goes on even though everybody's here at Farm Progress Show, right? It absolutely does. And one of those things that is going on is the annual Chinese farm tour. Ordinarily, China comes to the U.S. They tour a bunch of soybean farms. On Friday of that week, they uh, they all gather someplace uh, conspicuous, and they sign a multi-billion dollar pledge to purchase American soybeans. Well, the good news is that tour is still happening. There are currently soybean buyers down in the state of Missouri right now. They are touring several farms this week, but... They're not going to finish the week with a signing ceremony. Uh, conversations are being had between China's top soybean processors. Of course, we're talking uh, Kafko and Yahai Kerry and uh, Cargill and Bungie. Their Chinese representatives are all here, and they're meeting with the U.S. Soybean Export Council and uh, the Global Trade Exchange Conference. But, you know, it's, we're not going to see a huge, uh, huge announcement at the end. So uh, I guess it's business as usual minus one kind of key detail, which is the actual purchase of beans. And it is a key detail. Yeah. Things get a lot more fun when money changes hands, particularly when it comes in our direction. Yes, absolutely. Let's see. Well, we do have, I guess we didn't have pressing news with Secretary Purdue, but AgriPulse reported a story just today when he was asked about getting E15 in. Um, they, they quoted in their article that Secretary Sonny Purdue answered a phone call today from a, quote, unknown number which may lead to movement in the administration's stalled efforts to allow the uh, sales of E15. And he did say during the media discussion today that he spoke with the president just this morning and said, quote, let's get it done. Wait, who did? Secretary Purdue. Oh, see, I was standing in the back of the room. Delaney was right up front, you know, getting all the action. I was in the back having conversations with Pam Johnson, uh, former NCGA president and friend of the podcast. But uh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So there is some news there. Maybe... I, I, although I'll, I'll be honest, Delaney, it feels like we've heard that before. Yeah. This uh, USDA telling the president to get it done, and it, it hasn't happened yet, but but we got to be hopeful, right? Right, and we have, I feel like, heard that before, the let's get it done, or we're working on it, or whatever. That's a, a common, you know, politician answer, but it's in the back of their minds, for sure. Or in front of their minds, really, in this case. As long as it's in their minds somewhere. I guess we can't be too picky about where it sits, front, back, or midships. 
Well, Delaney, I've got a piece of news here that's kind of interesting. Uh, folks, we'll be playing, we've had a couple conversations with agronomists. We'll be playing those here throughout the week and into next week. And there was some agronomic news today. There's a lawsuit or a case that has been going on in Seattle. Environmental groups are suing to have dicamba, the new formulations of dicamba, revoked. Basically, it's being brought by Earth Justice, which is a group we've talked about before, not uh, necessarily a huge fan of modern production agriculture there, that group. But uh, they said that the EPA's declaration that Extendamax would have no effect on plants or animals was arbitrary and capricious. And that's what they told a three-judge panel at the ninth U.S. Circuit Court there in Seattle. And of course, Monsanto, or Bayer, excuse me, has asked the, the court to throw this case out, but that decision has not been reached yet, and it's happening in Seattle. And I, I don't know the justices up there, I don't know their history, but I know that Seattle is a fairly crunchy type of locale, and uh, I got a feeling that Earth Justice figured they'd file the suit there, thinking they'd get a better hearing. Crunchy, that's a nice description. Yeah, it's crunchy like granola. Yeah, I got that. Like hippie. Like Birkenstock wearing, you know, tie-dye making, uh, long-haired. Come on, that's not fair. Everybody's not like that, that wears Birkenstocks and has tie-dyed shirts. and. In a state that's legalized weed. Oh, okay, then yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's just my guess. I'm assuming that's why Earth Justice filed there, rather than, say, in Iowa or Missouri, former headquarters of Monsanto or Nebraska or, you know, any of those places. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully the court will, you know, look on the side of science, but hmm, we saw in California that sometimes courts make decisions not necessarily based on science. Okay, well I've got a little bit of NAFTA news here today. The U.S. and Canada have been continuing to meet and negotiate around what Canada will will be willing to give up or what needs to happen so that they will come back to the table. And according to a Pro Farmer article today, Canada may agree to change one of the rules that had originally blocked producers from exporting the ultra-filtered milk to Canada and also offer the U.S. A, a small percentage of its dairy market. However, I was listening, I can't remember what I was listening to this morning, maybe a podcast, um, just talking about how there's really a very unlikely to no chance that Canada would ever give up their quota system. No, that's not going to happen, but if we can at least return to the status quo ante and get ultra-filtered milk going back into Canada, that the U.S. dairy system had adapted to that type of trade, at least that would throw a bone in our direction. Wouldn't be an ideal, wouldn't be the, uh, the end-all, be-all, but man, that would have to help producers, especially in Wisconsin, Michigan, and New York, you would think, Delaney. Yeah, absolutely. What, I, well, we've got other news from Canada, Delaney. You know, one of the topics we've talked about a lot, and I know that, uh, uh, and actually we'll talk about, well, I guess we won't talk, but we'll talk to a cattle feeder later on today. And uh, we didn't touch on this, but we could have, which is plant-based proteins. So one of Canada's largest, or Canada's largest meat processor, Lightlife Foods, is rolling out nine of its top-selling plant-based protein alternatives in Canadian retail stores as part of its push to become a dominant player in the fast-growing space. They are setting up this type of product to compete more with Tyson and their push into plant-based foods, and of course Memphis Meats and some of the lab-based meats that are trying to be developed. So Canadians, you now get the chance to try mm, meatless meat, which is still a phrase that I hate. If we have any Canadian listeners that do try some meatless meat products, since they're not really available on the U.S. market yet, I'd be more than interested to, to sit down and have a conversation with you about, does it taste like meatless meat? I mean, can you tell it's meatless meat? Can you tell a difference? 
I don't know. Maybe we should uh, set up set up a, a test panel from Canada. So some of our Can- Canadian listeners reach out to us. I think that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, and you know, I was talking. There was this discussion's been going on for a long time. What do we call meat? You know, is plant-based protein meat meat? My argument is no. In the same sense that if I created an all-meat tofu, I shouldn't be able to call it tofu, right? An all-meat tofu. Yes. It's not tofu then. Yes. It's meat. Exactly. So how is soybean-based protein dish meat? It's not. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's I my don't point. Know. That's yeah. my point. So basically, the the Beyond Meat or Tofurky, actually, the, there's a company called Tofurky. They're currently uh, in discussions about reclaiming quote-unquote, the word meat, and being allowed to use it in their marketing because they say that they are a meat alternative. So, we'll see. Okay, well, that sounds... Well, I, I think one problem we'd have with all-meat tofu, it would never be able to be a full replication of tofu because it would taste good. Okay. I've, I'm zoning out now. I'm done with that conversation, Mike. Let's move on to some other news here. Um, Pearls before swine. Okay, Whatever. Anyways, we have a report came out yesterday, was confirmed yesterday, of a BSE or mad cow disease infection in a Florida cow. APHIS, or the USDA's Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, put out a news release on Wednesday morning confirming that a discovery had been made on, I think it was a six-year-old, six-year-old mixed breed cow from Florida, and the concern was um, that this cow has been sold and reproduced a couple of different times, and typically the process that APHIS follows is to make sure that any offspring of that cow that's infected with BSC uh, would be tracked down and tested as well. So a little concern there that it might spread, but we'll, we will keep you posted as we find out more information. All right. Well, you know, simple rule there. Don't eat cow brains, and you should be okay. And, uh, and we'll touch on it a little bit. Didn't seem to move the markets today. Fat cattle or feeder cattle. So all in all, we didn't seem to have much of a much of a jump from it. All right. Mike, what else do you got for news today, or should we? You, you know what, Delaney? I've got a fascinating piece of news here that just, just broke. And uh, we've got celebrities down here at the Farm Progress Show. They're popping up all over the place. Right now, we're talking to a well-known chauffeur, a man who, who really puts miles under the wheel. He has, he has driven me around. He has kept me timely to different events. And, of course, his name is Ted Hammer. He just put his hat on backwards. For listeners, you can't see it, but he is Gangsta Ted, and he's here with us now. Ted Hammer, what have you seen today that really jumped out at you? There are a lot of the same tillage tool here, the one that the Kinsey one, the, uh, the high-speed one. Uh, man, that's in 14 different forms out here today every company's got one landall's got one and holy cow is it a vertical till type of tool no it's a deeper till and gee whiz everybody's got that and everybody runs out of ice cream and everybody runs out of pie we just went to the pie lady and she's out for 20 minutes said are there any things that have caught your eye today that are are things you might look at implementing or using on your operation in 2019 I don't know that I'd see anything new, but there's a lot of updates coming to the things we are using. Uh, ag leaders uh, upping their um, Agfinity program a little bit. Climate View's got some good stuff going on. You know, just different things that we already have that we're going to be implementing. Perfect, Ted. Well, that's what you need to do. I mean, we gotta, we'll got to. we be talking here a little bit later on. we got to keep these yields growing if we're going to see prices down here, you know, where they are. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, Ted, do you want to see where the market finished up today? Should we jump into that? Delaney, what do you think? I think we should do it, Mike. Folks, well, our markets are still brought to us by our great friends over at the Zaner Group. You can give them a holler. Get expert market analysis right to you by calling 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. We saw some green today in the grains. Not a lot in corn and beans, but a little bit more in the wheat market. In corn, the September contract up a quarter of a penny to finish at 341 and a quarter. December also up a quarter to close at 356 and a half. In soybeans, the SEP contract up two and three quarters, closed at 823 and a quarter. November also up two and three quarters to close the day at 836 even. Jumping down to Chicago wheat, that, that September contract up 17 and a half cents on the day to finish at 515 and three quarters. The December up 18 and a half, closed at 541 and three quarters. Looking over to livestock, despite that BSE scare, we had August live cattle up $1.3750 to close at 109.17, and the October contract up 25 cents to close at 108.70. In feeder cattle, the August contract down two and a half cents at 149.3250. The September down 35 to close at 149.17 and a half. In lean hogs, the October contract lower by 45 cents at 51.55, while December up 37 and a half cents to close at 53.70. 250. Looking over at the dairy market in Class 3 milk, that September contract up two cents on the day at 1644. The October down seven to close at 1657. We've got two great conversations today. We're going to kick it off, I think, by a look at the cattle industry. What do you say? Let's talk to Kurt Dahlmeyer from down in southeastern Iowa and get his take on Iowa's cattle feeding and America's cattle feeding state. Well, we're catching up with Kurt Dahlmeyer. He's very excited to talk to us today at the Farm Progress Show. Kurt, you raise cattle in southeast Iowa. How's the cattle industry looking right now? Uh, you know, it's a little tough to get a reading on. Uh, commodity prices are all kind of just stagnant. The cattle market, I don't see, you know, hasn't really fallen out of bed. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it hasn't had a lot of movement either. I think uh, probably the nice thing that's helping the cattle industry is people have been staying really current. Um, we also haul cattle besides raise them, and we're seeing you know cattle that are moving at a uh, a lot lower weight than what we've seen other years, which is is a good thing that needs to happen. And uh, because there's no incentive to raise higher weights, uh, you know, there's plenty of incentive with you know cheap corn and and you know feeder calves right now are I think overpriced, and so you know there would be that incentive to say hey we'll just take the animal we already have and and feed it for another 60 days but um people have been doing a good job staying current i think from a few years ago when we were making 17 1800 pound animals we all learned a lesson and said yeah that's not necessarily the answer let's uh let's keep this market current keep it moving so now kurt we've we've heard a lot for the better part of the past eight nine months about the wall of cattle that's coming we had all those red heifers retained we had all those old cows kept around for you know that one more calf you can get squeezed out of her you know from your experience talking to cattle buyers talking to cattle haulers yourself have we chewed through the bulk of that or are we pretty well through that big glut of cattle yeah i've seen and heard the the wall is coming and i i mean that's been the topic you know the wall's coming the wall's coming i i think it's kind of been a fear that uh, that's coming and that's kept people, you know, with these lighter weights. And, you know, I think uh, there were some geographical regions that, that pulled cattle off uh, maybe some wheat pasture a little bit early and some cattle got placed at a little younger, lighter weight. And so I think that's also in turn to help maybe, maybe uh, make the wall not as high to get over. I, I think, you know, we're coming into that time period where they're, 
historically or, or typically a lot of cattle this time of year, but um, you know, at least the packers are still killing. Most of them are killing a six-day week and uh, making good profits. And so, you know, we we need that to happen. Otherwise, if if they go back to a five five-day week, um, we're we're probably going to see this market soften even more than what it has. Let's talk about packer margins here for a second. They've been doing pretty well, we'll say. Do you feel like that money is getting trickled down at the producer level, or do you think packers are making producers tighten their belts a little bit more? Uh, a packer's never really going to show you their hand. I mean, they're the best bluffer in the world, I think, uh, even better than a cattle feeder, But because uh, we're at the gambling table every day. But, um, you know, we want them to have a margin, because if they don't have a margin... Um, you know, this thing is going to be a little tough. I know we can talk trade. Everybody's talking trade. Uh, you know, the, we were in the cattle industry hoping to gain some ground with uh, being opened up into China, you know, and so all the all the tariffs of China really haven't affected the cattle industry. We really weren't sending any beef over there. Uh, I think it's more all the other commodities that have maybe kind of held cattle stagnant where they are. Yeah, yeah I'm inclined to agree. You know, it it's interesting that that dairy, or excuse me, it's interesting that beef cattle, both calves and fat cattle, were the only production livestock group exempt from the twelve billion dollar bailout. The only industry that didn't get a penny. But now I want to come back to something you said earlier, uh, Kurt. You mentioned that, that that feeder cattle are a little too expensive. Now, as a cattle feeder, have you ever seen them when they weren't too expensive? No, <laughs> they're always too expensive. Uh, unless you could figure out that time to buy feeder calves that you thought were too much, and then the market ran up about twenty or thirty dollars, you know. Uh, if you can tell me uh, when that's going to happen, I'll, I'll buy all the ones I can get my hands on. But uh, only look cheap in hindsight. Yeah, th- that is definitely for sure. Kurt, let's talk about another issue that I know you watch daily. I'm sure because you truck a lot. Um, that's the ELD mandate. Where is it sitting today? Walk us through some of the conversations you have with other cattle and, and livestock haulers. You know, um, it's a mixed bag of soup right now. Uh, the extension was for another year to extend uh, livestock haulers exempt from an ELD. And I think at least that shows the people are listening. And uh, we were at some meetings uh, down in Phoenix at the NCBA convention, and one of the... Uh, federal motor carrier directors was down there and I sat in on that session and and you know they are listening and I think they do understand that uh, livestock is different especially with cattle you know hogs you're not hauling them as far typically but but with the cattle you're putting a lot of miles under under a load of cattle whether it's bringing feeders from say out east you know most of the cattle are fed in the midwest region so uh, it's encouraging that I think they're listening to our concerns and comments and know that it's not just a one-size-fits-all type of issue. Um, you know, it's something that is very dear and close to us because where we're at in southeast Iowa, uh, depending on what regulations happen, then uh, we're limited to how many packers that we can market to just for the truck to make it out and make it back because uh, we market a lot of cattle that, that make a 10- to 12-hour trip just to go to the to the harvest facility. So. Uh, it's definitely critical for us to have um, some leeway. All right. Well, hey, Kurt Dahlmeyer, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. We always appreciate your insight, and keep keep feeding those cattle. We need some good T-bones. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. And make sure when you go out to eat that you're eating a steak instead of, you know, one of the other meats. <laughs> well, again, a big thank you to Kurt. He wasn't super excited to talk to us. He wanted to know the questions ahead of time, but I said, Kurt, you know, you gotta you, you got to be a spokesperson for the industry. What if some PETA 
hippie person comes up to you and wants to talk to you, you got to be prepared for those things. That's right. If a granola crunching hippie wanders up, you got to be able to defend the industry. And what I like about Kurt, we didn't give him the questions beforehand. Knocked out of the park. Dude knows what he's talking about. Absolutely, he does. He does. But another person who knows what they're talking about is Martin Lukenbein with Cam So. We talked to them yesterday, and we're going to continue that discussion today, so let's kick it off to Martin. Well, folks, we're back at the Farm Progress Show today. We are here in the Cam So booth once again with our friend Martin Lukenbein. And Martin, yesterday you said something that really got me thinking. You mentioned that there are some agronomic advantages to looking at tracks when folks are out in the field. Can you talk about that in a little bit better detail? You've got a neat model here. Walk us through it. Sure. Um, The way we see it, every time you go to the field, every time you walk across the field, there is some impact to the field. And what we're trying to do is how can we minimize that impact? How can we help the farmer uh, do his business better? We're not farmers, but we know what our products can do. So we're trying to see what, it can, what, can, what can happen if you put tracks on. So one of the studies uh, we did, uh, we did a side-by-side in the field with a planter on tracks and a planter that's not on tracks. So basically the same soil preparation, same everything, and we let the farmer do his thing. So he, uh, he planted. Uh, the only difference was one planter was on tracks, one planter was on wheel, harvested them separately, and provided us with the data. And the interesting thing as we did it and we started looking at the results, well, there was some stuff that we didn't expect at all. Like uh, we were seeing that the seed depth was much more uniform because the center of the planter is not sinking down so much anymore. So uniform seed depth means uniform emergence, uh, which is also very important for the, for the crop growth. And as we started going along, we see that also what we're trying to show here in this dem- uh, unit that we have here is the compaction that you get. And so the compaction was less on the track side and then was on the tire side. Can you put that in a, a perspective of quantifying that, how much less? Well, what, what we found out is this one aspect alone is really not that important. And I'll get to it at the okay. end. I'll tease you just a little bit. We'll, we'll get there. And then we saw um, the water infiltration was much better uh, where the track had been than where the tire had been. And really uh, what also surprised us more was in the pinch rows. So right at the edge of so the roots that are adjacent to the pinch rows, they were doing much better on the track side. So much more uniform than everything else where, where the, nothing had been. And then at the end when we collected all the data, uh, we saw an improvement of yield by 5% where the, the field that had been planted, uh, that was planted on tracks versus the one that planted on tires. So uh, we think it's a combination of all those things. You put them together, and it generates um, that, those kind of results. So the farmer paid for his system within one season very, very easily. That was going to be my next question is can you – I've got to play devil's advocate yeah. a little bit here. Yeah. I mean, it is an investment to get track tills or this type of system set up on your operations. Can you justify that? We, in most studies we did, we could justify it within a, a season, uh, you know, maximum two. And in certain cases, it's just even a question of getting into these fields. Some of these planters are now getting so heavy, and when you get to the edge of the field and you want to put the wheels down to turn, the wheels just go down into the field. And so if you get into some softer conditions, uh, it, gets, it gets really, really tough. And one thing I could invite you to do is uh, we've just put out a series, a five-part series of testimonials on our YouTube channel uh, where there is a farmer down in Texas who basically goes through the whole uh, adventure that he had in putting tracks on his planters and the benefits that he's seeing from that. So it's not just my word now. 
it's the farmers farmers word again before it and all this data that we have here is not our data it's the actual farmers data that you share with us from a farmer's perspective martin if i'm if i've got a planter that i love doesn't have tracks it's on wheels what type of knowledge what type of experience do I need to have to make a conversion to tracks? Is that something I need to take it to a professional for? Can I do it in my shop? What's that process like? Uh, a lot of guys can do it on their own because they're equipped to do it. Some of the bigger farms have all the equipment that they need, and all the dealers are set up to do it too. Uh, some, far some of the planters lend themselves better to being converted, like the DB planters. We have the full setup for the DB planters. They are the heavier planters too, so that's, that's where we focused. And we have some of the case planters too that, that we can, we already have something fully set up uh, to convert. So that works well. And then if we look further, we can, we're looking at what are the heavier things that are going across your field. And those are the things that have an impact. Like the grain cart is huge. And if you look at what's out here, even the Farm Progress show uh, today, you look at uh, Kinsey has uh, one out there in, the, in our system. But those are the things where you can then reduce the impact on the ground and reduce the compaction. And the compaction is not just for one season, it's season over season over season. And uh, you're trying to minimize that so you minimize the rework that you have to do to your field. So, and all those uh, impacts where we have a lot of studies ongoing now, some in conjunction with Ohio State, some that we're doing on our own in different farms. And basically at every show, so the next one's National Farm Machinery Show, we'll be coming out with more proof, more data, uh, some of it uh, developed by Ohio State. And we'll bring that and share it with uh, with everybody and see what's, what the results are. Martin, it really sounds like we're talking about trends here in the industry. As a whole, is the industry moving towards track tills? Absolutely. We've, we've uh, just generally on tracks, we've seen an explosion of, of uh, equipment that uses uh, tracked equipment. So uh, for the track planters, uh, it's still an, an aftermarket uh, conversion. There is a... Uh, Agco that does offer one one version of their planters on track, so that's a that's a that's a good start. Uh, but uh, more and more, we're getting more and more requests every year to put these big big planters on tracks as people are seeing the the benefits. And can producers get those directly from camps, or do they have to go through a dealer or or a manufacturer? We always uh, work through the dealer when we're working in the uh, in the aftermarket as a conversion. We always work with the dealers because they're the ones that are close to the farmers. Uh, they're the ones that will be able to support them quickly. Uh, you know, if, if something were to happen, it's important that, you know, all, those, all the farming seasons are critical, planting, harvesting, it's time sensitive. You know, and we, we want those products to be well served and the farmers to be well served so that they get, they get their money's worth. That's really important to us. Martin, I was just gonna ask, for the YouTube video and dealer information, where should listeners go? They go to uh, our YouTube channel camso.co on YouTube and they'll be able to find uh, right up there the, on the first ones I checked it out it's right there or our Facebook page uh, it's right up there too on one, some of the, one of the first videos out there awesome thank you again we're going to stop by the Camso booth again tomorrow so be sure to stay tuned fantastic we're learning all sorts of stuff here at the Farm Progress Show check out those tracks after that two inches of rain we had here yesterday Delaney I kind of wish I had tracks on the Lincoln it might be a little tough trying to get out of here today what do you think yeah when I was pulling in this morning I thankfully had my mom's truck she left it at my apartment this week but uh yeah just sliding in and out of the mud I was watching other cars sliding out of the mud so it's a muddy Farm Progress Show but a great one and we're going to be finishing up our coverage live coverage tomorrow but we will be bringing you more more events and, and happenings from the show the next week or so
Absolutely, folks. And if you want to check up on yesterday's episode or any of the previous forthcoming episodes, you can always do it on our website at agnewsdaily.com, or you can always interact with us on social media. If you can't be here and want us to look into something for us, for you, let us know. But you've got to let us know tonight because the Internet kind of is really bad here at the Farm, Farm Progress Showgrounds, so we can't get texts or tweets while we're on the grounds unless we're in the media tent. So shoot it to us tonight. We'll check it out for you tomorrow and uh, let you know what we think, what we found. In the meantime, folks, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let them... Uh, uh, let him go. Let him go.